No, no, no. It's called casual, man. It's all conversation. Casual, man. <laughs> it's just yeah, a conversation. Yo, Sean, so. Hey, thanks for taking the time. So yeah, like I mentioned, it's going to be a very casual chat. And um, one thing why I really wanted to reach out to you was, I, I guess a lot of people really should hear your story because I think you have a story that could benefit a lot of people in our community, right? Right. Especially people who want to self-learn or even switch careers. And I think that's one of the your unique stories. But if you don't mind sharing with the community, right, or sharing with people who are watching this video, I mean... What's your background and what's your story? Sure, man. Thanks for the time. Um, yeah, just a little bit about me. I'm actually a chemical engineering grad. So, and I entered the workforce about in 2019. I worked as a process engineer, basically a basically a design-oriented uh, process engineer. But working for a consulting company. Basically, we are like subcontractors to like Petronas, you know, Exxon, people like that. And we do all the engineering designs and stuff like that. So I was doing that for about a year. Yeah. And I mean, what made you want to switch from an engineering field? And to me, process consultancy sounds exciting even. Why the switch? You know, yeah, definitely. I was, I, was actually, I was actually liking what I was doing. It's just that, so, you know, the timing and everything was just uh, had so much to play basically. So in 2020, in early 2020, March, as we know it, uh, basically Malaysia went into a lockdown, right? But even slightly before that, um, due to the nature of the consulting jobs, so it's project-based. Um, so our workload as the workforce is very heavily dependent on sort of the nature of the project and which uh, phase of the project is it on, right? So if when there's heavy workload, everyone's really busy, but when there's low workload, everyone's free. So in about February, I think we had quite a low workload season for like a couple of weeks before the next phase of the project. And we had a little bit of downtime in a sense that we, we would be at work, but there wasn't much work to be done. And I was just like, you know, I'm quite free at work now. So let's just take this opportunity or at least this couple of weeks and let's just learn up something new, lah. like upskill, learn something new. I have time, right, on my hands. So why not do that? So that was the, that was the original plan, right? And I've always... Um, thought that you know learning programming would be cool um it sort of started during uh when i was I was working a lot with like excel sheets and stuff and i just sort of dwindled a little bit into vba la, like my excel vbas right but all i was doing before that was just like recording macros so i'll just like press record and i'll do the actions and then i would actually go into the script and just like sort of try to manipulate it a little bit but you know that that's about it la. so i always thought programming would be cool to automate stuff um, so yeah, so I just told myself, okay, I'm going to learn a little bit of programming during this downtime. And that sort of, that was the case. That was literally the case. And I was like, okay, I'm going to watch a few crash courses. I actually started off with Python because automation, right? You think like Python and anything like that. So that was kind of, I watched a couple, I watched like maybe three hours crash course on Python. I thought like, yo, that's it, man. And like, I know the fundamentals now I can get started on something, but that was obviously not the case. Um, so that was kind of how it started for me in that sense. And during that time when I was trying to learn these things on the side, basically the lockdown happened. Um, mm. And the lockdown happened. And actually, no, right. I mean, even before the lockdown happened, uh, I sort of already kind of committed to sort of a long-term learning uh, after sort of dwindling my toes a little bit into this, into this, uh, into this tech world, and found mm -hmm. and finding like, oh, actually, it's really interesting. I'm really loving what I'm learning. Let me just learn a little bit more, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the lockdown actually happened, and that was when I didn't need it to commute to work 
anymore. Mm. So we were all working from home. I used to commute two hours a day, uh, one wow. hour to one hour to KL, one hour coming back, right? So it's just a good two hours um, every day. And I suddenly had two hours free in a day. So I was like, oh, okay, I have two additional two hours in a day. Why not put that time, since I was already learning something, right? Put that time mm. to better use. And that's when I sort of continued learning even more. So that was kind of how it slowly just transitioned. And that's how it started for me, I think. Okay, that's interesting. So, but... I, in the end day, right? Why why would you mm. from a very nice consulting job, why would you want to jump to programming? What's the interesting thing about programming that really got you and saying that, okay, this can be my career? Yeah, um, lots of factors. One being, okay, I was in consulting, it's a good, uh, good environment and all. But at the same time, it was all in gas. Yeah, so I didn't mention this. I was actually in oil and gas sector. And during this time, COVID, right? Oil and gas uh, got hit really hard. Right. Um, I actually, yeah. I've actually, um, I noticed some of my colleagues and I actually experienced some of my colleagues being retrenched during this time. Um, fortunately for me, I got to secure my job because uh, the project got extended and I was part of that project team uh, that basically got extended. So I was fortunate that some of my colleagues were not. And I think, you know, this was just one of the factors that's like, oh, okay, this is quite a cyclical nature. This is quite a uh, up and down sector and it's quite you know, there are good times, there are bad times, and this is, it's normal. Um, speaking to some of seniors, this is a cyclical nature. And it's quite normal to sometimes lose your job because there's no projects or, you know, the demand for oil or whatnot is quite low. So there aren't projects coming in. All right. So that's one factor. The other factor, I think, is the just the whole fact that tech just really interests me at that point. I was like, oh, you can, I started, uh, so it was from Python, and then I soon realized, okay, I can't, really do much like front-end stuff with Python as fast as I would like to. And I think that's when I actually started uh, discovering more about like JavaScript and, and that whole ecosystem. So then I started realizing, oh, I can build really cool stuff with, with just like all these front-end frameworks, right? Front-end uh, languages and, and just scripting and, and whatnot. And I think that enticed me more and that really attracted me a lot more as well. And the whole like, the whole nature, so everyone's in lockdown, right? we're all remote working and that whole nature of, so most industries were actually struggling to work from home or struggling to work remotely, but sort of the tech industry and a developer's role thrives sort of in isolation, in uh, remote working. I mean, you still mm -hmm. lose out on that communication, but the whole nature of that tech role, right? You actually can thrive in, in, in natures like this, like remote working, you can operate like as per normal. So I think that really yep. interests me. I was like, oh, you can work remotely, for example, for a company in Singapore and you are living in Malaysia. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, quite a few factors and those were just like one of the two factors. Okay. Yeah. I mean, valid points you raised and yeah, those, those, are, those are good points. So, and, and for yourself, right? And from what I heard from your story, it took you just maybe around six months really to learn up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Around six months to learn up uh, coding before you landed your first first full-time job. Uh, tell us what was the journey like? I mean, that must have been really amazing. A lot of people, I mean, for you to be able to do that in six months. I mean, how was it like? What was the struggles? What was the what was your key success factor, you know? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, we were having a chat prior to this or so before, and I did mention six months. And, and so I was having a full-time job, but I think ultimately it was just like, I was, I was really into it and I was really, I had my eyes set on a goal. I was like, okay, um, I actually gave myself to the end of 20, 2020. So that was 2019, right? And then it 
2020 was COVID. So I gave myself actually at, to the end of 2020 to actually transition into a new role. Because at some point in about, I started about in February. Uh, I think in about April or May, I told myself, yeah, I'm just going to really try hard on this and try to to transition into tech um, coming where I'm from. So I, I gave myself that goal and it was just a grind. Um, it was just a grind daily. I would spend any any time I had, like, basically, right, before work, after work, weekends, um, just learning, right? Learning, trying to build stuff, trying to come up with a portfolio. Because um, obviously, if you look at my CV then, I was like, I had nothing. I had, I had no relevant skills. I had uh, quite zero transferable skills besides, like, soft skills. All the hard skills were not transferable. They were very chemical engineering oriented. So I, I, I had to sort of build something for myself to showcase that, okay, at least... I can do stuff. I can build stuff. I at least have something to show for. I have a conversation starter. If I'm trying to apply for a job, right, I can show them, hey, this is what I've been trying to build or I've built, and maybe we can talk about that. So that was sort of the plan. And it's like like you said, I think it took me um, in total about six months before I fully transitioned and, and got a role. But yeah, every day was just, I think, I think ultimately it's because I had the interest and I had sort of the the liking for it as well right and that just kept me going every day um literally i was like okay the covid did help but i was like spending my weekends i, I was literally spending my saturdays and sundays like learning building and and yeah just equipping myself i think would you say i mean how many hours would you spend on a weekend really learning up uh, dude i can't i can't tell you but like i would say three quarters of the day maybe right on the weekends if i wasn't going out la, right um on the days that i wasn't going out I'll, I'll spend like three quarters of the day just like a lot of it was just consuming i think just learning by consuming so i was consuming yeah. a lot of information um yeah. less of the time was actually building because i was still quite new right so i had to consume a lot um before i could actually sort of tangibly try to build mm. stuff um so yeah lots of time so if, if, if you had to say, what are the two secret techniques that you use? Or what would you say was your key ingredient for success in that six months that you say everyone must have if they want to be able to self-learn? What would you say is one or two things that's critical? You know, um, I'll, I'll probably say from my perspective, because I think... Um, everybody in their in their own season, and it really depends where you're coming from. If you're coming from like again, you've you have a degree, you're coming from another job. It's probably quite different if you're like, uh, let's say at uni right now, and you're studying something different, and you're trying to learn because the time frame and your your availability will look very different um, in those two circumstances. But I'll, I'll try to speak from my own perspective. I think so. Again, I think I had that goal in mind so i told myself end of 2020 um and i think besides that so mind you actually i didn't i was doing this all my myself um i tried to find a community at the time which was actually how i tried to reach out to hacker collective mm. um because i think i just felt a little bit like oh i'm just doing this alone like i really want i was really excited right but i really wanted to speak to people about it but um, all my friends around me were like either accounting uh, grads or like or like typical mechanical engineers or, or or you know you know people from that background. So I had like very to little to none um, context of friends that I could like sort of share this interest and share this passion with la. So um, so I was pretty much doing that alone. Um, but again, so I think for me it was having that go and then every every. This didn't last, obviously, the whole six months, but I think at least for the first few months, I sort of set a to-dos for the day. 
um, I would sort mm -hmm. of like the night before, right? I would out because I was most of the time going through like Udemy courses or online courses or whether it's YouTube courses, right? Um, and there were certain aspects of the course that you could see lah, from the like table of contents. And I told myself, okay, I want to do, let's say, these few topics um, by today or like by the next day. And I would, I would sort of prepare myself the night before and I'll just try to list down. Whether or not I actually complete that, that's regardless of the case. But I think just at least doing that daily sort of helped me and helped me sort of stay on track and to be really disciplined. So that's, I think, number one. Um, and I think the second one, I was just, you gotta, you gotta like what you're, you're learning, right? <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, so I think yeah, I was, yeah. I was really, really liking what I was learning because at the same time, I could, I did see what you could potentially build, um, sort of at the end of it, or at least up to a certain point where you've been equipped, you can build all this cool stuff. And that really motivated me. I think it's like, oh man, like, I always see all these like really cool, um, whether it's like super complex tutorials or like online projects that people build. And I'm like, man, I can eventually build that next time. That's like really, really cool. So I think that's probably one of the other reasons. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So after your entire journey, when you learn for about six months plus and you went for the interview, right? Can you tell, I mean, tell us, you know, what was, what was the company really looking for? Cause you weren't a graduate from your university in computer science as well. And then they what what did what was the company's mindset and perspective towards self-taught learners like yourself? What did they ask? You know, did, did they check your CV? What was it like? Yeah, good question. Um, again, I think it was. Uh, you make it sound like I got my job really easy, but <laughs> I actually uh, so I applied for probably over 20, 20, um, 20 roles. I think mm -hmm. um, in total, uh, until our. Uh, it was a consecutive thing, but I think in total, probably more than 20. And again, not many got back to me, right? Because wow. maybe uh, the requirements were like, they weren't looking for a junior or or maybe I'm not from that background. So mm. most just didn't come back to me or some, they would have an upfront assignment before uh, you have to submit like that assignment along with your CV. So I would try to do that assignment and submit my CV and, and what, and, and hoping that they'll get back to me, but mm. I, I just don't get some of the replies, right? Mm. So I, I can't really tell um, what they're looking for in for some companies. Um, and some of the companies, they are either startups and their budget might be lower because I was coming from a position that I have a job, I at least want to match the pay. Mm. Or at least at the most, take maybe like a 10%, 10% cut, I think, um, from my perspective. So I think some of the startups, they would they would be okay with hiring with people regardless of the backgrounds. But I think some of the recruiters did say that uh, this this company is quite tight on the budget. So they would say max will pay is like X amount, right? Mm -hmm. And I think they were asking, so what's your current salary or your expected salary? And I'll tell them my current salary. And they'll say, oh, that's going to be quite hard for the company to match, right? Mm -hmm. So th there might be different, different reasons. But I think for the, so for, I, I can say for some SMEs and most startups, they actually don't really care whether or not you come from a conventional like IT or computer science background, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they are going to be assessing you whether or not that's uh, in-person online tech assessment, uh, technical, mm -hmm. technical assessment, or whether that's through your portfolio, um, a one-to-one -one whiteboarding or whatnot. So I think mm -hmm. for those companies, because they have to be very, very selective on who they hire, they have a very tight budget, they don't as long as you can you can show that you can contribute back to them, 
they're not really too concerned. But I think it's getting that first step because a lot of times uh, for bigger companies like MSCs, they get, um, my girlfriend used to work for a recruiter for one of the big four companies. So these companies get like hundreds and hundreds of applicants a day. And if they would see like, okay, this person doesn't fully have uh, uh, transferable, not transferable, but relevant experience or relevant skills, right? Maybe they see, okay, this person's done a course online, but maybe the degree is not as suitable and you don't have any portfolio to showcase. They're just going to put it aside because they have like another hundred CVs to look through in that day, right? So I think you're, so for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to apply for the big companies anyways. But I didn't hear, I didn't really hear back from big companies. And <laughs> I, I, I don't, I mean, I can't blame them again, right? They, they get like tons and tons of applications yeah, yeah. per day. And it's the smaller companies that were the one that I actually heard back. Cause I think they have a smaller applicant pool. They have the time to go through it and actually call you up and actually yeah. have a conversation and learn more about you, I think. So yeah, that, yeah. that was from my experience, I think. Um, again, I did a few online assessments and tech assessments. Some didn't go too well, some were okay. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. So that's interesting to hear. There's very good perspectives on that. Now, you you think a lot about the future of coding, right? And if you, you think a lot about the future of your career, and I mean, generally anyone would think about that. What what will you say is your future plans in terms of in the software world for the next three to five years? You know, I mean, is there really, if all coders were to plan out their careers, right? Is there like what you call so-called a best plan or what is the plan that you think suits you or suits any coder out there for their careers? I can't speak for all, but I can, I think, speak for at least my, what I'm planning. Give you a maximum salary. Right, gives anyone the maximum salary, right? Maximum career growth, right? Yeah, I'm assuming that's the direction you're heading to. I think it really depends. Maximum yeah. salary doesn't always correlate with maximum growth, okay. and a lot of times, uh, that's very true. Because, for example, if you want maximum growth, and I think people hear this a lot, go for startups, right? You're forced to do everything, um, and startups don't generally pay the most uh, upfront. Mm -hmm at the start anyways, right? As they're growing and if it's an early stage company, um, they don't have the budget. But the learning is going to be crazy because you're just forced to do everything. And when you go into bigger companies, the prioritization is different. So I speak from um, someone who's in a medium-sized company, still pretty agile, but at the same time, there is dedicated uh, tech departments that handles dedicated stuff like dedicated DevOps, dedicated backend, dedicated front ends. And your focus is very different. Your focus a lot is optimization, um, very high quality code and always cost savings, cost optimization, right? And it's because there's dedicated uh, companies and dedicated people to do that, that, that focus can be there. When you're in a smaller company, it's always just to ship, to ship new features, to ship new products. ASAP because you aren't that concern of quality, you aren't that concern mm. of okay, cost maybe, but maybe you might not be too concerned because maybe your your bandwidth is much lower, your your user pool is much lower, right? So you can afford um, to be a little bit less stringent on that. But the focus yeah. is really different. And I think that's what I've noticed because one of the actually, um, I had two offers at a time when I was, I was considering um, transitioning to tech, right? And one of it was a digital agency company, which does external projects and versus my current company that is internal products. So the focus would have been really, really different. 
external projects, you'll just be about shipping at the end of the day, right? <laughs> Tight deadlines, <laughs> ship. When, yeah. And when it's an internal product, it's always about the quality. It's always about the security, um, the cost and all that. So I think it gives a very different learning experience. Uh, but for, yeah, so, but for me, I think being exposed to an internal product, I've come to really appreciate like code quality, product quality, cost optimization, mm-hmm. performance. Yeah, performance is a huge thing in my in my department. Yeah, yeah. Performance and, and just all this. Um, so it's basically the nitty gritty in, in terms of the tech stuff. It's mm-hmm. not as concerned of like, we need to ship this ASAP. Uh, granted we do, but not as tight as external deadlines. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I think I've really come to appreciate the quality of it, right? And I think if you were to ask me again, uh, maybe what's the plan in the, like maybe in the next few years? Again, I think architecture and product architecture in terms of the tech side, quite interests me quite a bit because again, you really think about how can I scale this up, right? I think architecture is always about scalability. It's always about costs. Mm-hmm. You want to lower the cost, but you always want to, you don't want to sacrifice scalability. And I think mm-hmm. thoughts like that, very high level thoughts, of the technical side, not not so much like of the product side. Um, yeah, at the moment now, interests me quite a bit, I think. Ah, so you see yourself becoming, you want to be a software architect, I'm guessing. I wouldn't say architect, but someone at least in a position that can say, I want to use these tools, I want to use these products, or I think we should in any case, because X, Y, Z, right? Mm. Um, and to actually start that conversation. And I think my position actually right now and this... Uh, my department has the flexibility to do that and it's actually given us some opportunities to sort of explore uh, what we can use and what we can explore because we're not too tight down. Again, we're like medium-sized, right? So we're yeah. not too tight down that like, oh, we've been using this legacy uh, tech for like 10 years. We can't switch out. Mm. Um, as long as we can prove why we want to use certain things to the management, mm. uh, most more likely than not, we can get a green light. Lah. So I think it's given us that flexibility to explore different tools, different technologies. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this since you work in a in a foreign company, I believe, right? It's foreign owned, right? Um, um sort of. Okay, maybe not. Sort of, but okay. Sort of. Okay. Okay. But my you know, that's right. So I and, and my, my 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 thoughts was this about Malaysia, right? And here's my crazy assumption. Malaysia's tech scene is unfortunately very behind. That's my assumption, right? And the reason why I say that is because in Malaysia, as compared to Singapore or maybe Europe, uh, we tend to be more of a service-oriented industry where we have a lot of agencies doing software work for a few big companies, right? And because they are very agency-minded, they tend to just say, oh, you know what? Hey, PHP is amazing. I know PHP for the past 20, 30 years in the career. Let's just stick to PHP because we can ship that out fast, right? And now we still do PHP all the while. While in other countries, if you're doing internal product, you'd be like, man, man, PHP is a bit old, right? Why not JavaScript? Why not another language, right? So firstly, what are your thoughts about this in terms of our Malaysian landscape? Do you think do you think we are quite slow behind or are we cutting edge? And if we are slow, could that be one of the reasons or what do you think the reasons are in terms of Malaysian landscape based on companies you heard or friends and all that? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, and I think it's it is quite prominent in the sense that a lot of the, for example, conferences, a lot of uh, just tech personas and people you learn from online and and 
and figures you learn from or resources you learn from, right? They don't come from, most of the time, they don't come from Asia, right? They come from mm. Europe. They come from uh, US or, or, or wherever else. Um, so I, I, to a certain extent, I do agree that the landscape is not as great, but actually, granted, there is actually a quite a strong talent pool. It's just that the landscape is not that great. Um, mm. There's actually promising talent locally, but maybe just the conditions and the and and like like you said, a service oriented landscape may have positioned the Malaysian tech uh, background to be as as such la. So yeah, I think following that, like, what, what was the second? What was the second part of the question? No, why? I mean, in, in regards to the landscape in general, are we are we are we slow to adopt new technologies, and why are good developers always moving out to other countries? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, is, is it due to our landscape or or are we not the case? Or are we the case where actually Malaysian companies are always very cutting edge and, and doing a lot of stuff? Because my logic is that we're always back in PHP, for example, and that's just one example of where we don't change, right? Is mm. that the case based on your experiences? I mean, working in your, because your company does internal products. Or yeah, friends. I can, again, I can only speak from, from my perspective and okay. it isn't very broad, but there I... You know, I speculate that possibly again the focus of of shipping may have just been that okay, let's just ship this in the fastest way possible. How can we do that, right? And the all the quality and the nitty gritty of like learning the cutting edge stuff, learning the most performance stuff, learning the new tools and the new um, technologies that could potentially change the landscape is an mm. afterthought. Mm. And that's but that's could be why, right? Um, People just put the focus of, I need this. How can we do it? Let's do it with the current things that uh, we know how. Or if not, let's outsource it. And we don't really care how they do it as long as it works. Um, then yeah. So that that could potentially be um, mm. the case. And again, it we don't have like, there's not much community. There's not much... Um, avenue and platforms like conferences in Malaysia to inspire these things, right? Imagine if there was a JavaScript Malaysia um, and it would really, like, it focuses on sort of having speakers, having panel uh, speakers to talk about um, the JavaScript land- landscape and the, the advancements of tech globally, but also locally, right? Um, where, is, where is Malaysia? What's Malaysia looking like in the tech scene, in the tech um platform in the next five years and then if people start you know having places to talk about things like that then potentially maybe the landscape might be slightly different Mm, interesting okay good point um although i must say maybe because you were you joined the scene a bit late but two years ago before covid there was things like javascript malaysia and pilot malaysia they're still they still are but these communities are very small you often see the same faces over the one two three years um, the issues they don't tend to grow, um, but that's something we can always chat for another time. Um, okay, f- final two questions from me. I'm gonna and then give you a chance to share on on one one thing from you if you have anything to share. But what one would my, my my second last question would really be on how do you see the role of community? If 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 you see is there a gap in Malaysia for community and what could community do? Uh, okay, not just for coders, but you know, for people who are in other fields, maybe accountants, lawyers, but also want to be inspired by coding, right? Do you see 
how communities could play a role or if so what could they do you know mm -hmm. good question yeah. again i think so i'm gonna so how i see this is because um again i mentioned i consume a lot of um content right a lot of information and this includes like podcasts this includes like um interviews by 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 more prone uh more renowned tech people like for example um people who work heavily in the react community people who uh contribute openly in into the open source community like like react like all the open um open source libraries and these are people that are again well known but there is they are connected by that open source community they're connected by uh whatever they have in common in terms of let's say oh front end there's there's a huge front end community in the states um and most of the time, it's not just because they are in like San Francisco or whatnot. They they could be connecting with people from like Canada, right? Um, and it's because I think again there is that digital community that they just have a have something in common that they can talk about, and you can like really sort of geek out about like if you like you're really um, interested in, for example, performance, right? I'm sure there's bound to be other people who are interested and like obsessed with like performance optimization and things like that. And, and I think at the end of the day, it's just being able to bounce ideas off each other, being able to share ideas um, amongst each other. And I see that a lot in this uh, in this Western space, right? Again, um, I mentioned podcasts, I mentioned like interviews or like or like online um, conversations that different figures would have. And this happens a lot even on Twitter. Um, and I think. Twitter is like it's a dying platform um, to many, but I think it, for some reason all the tech people are there, and they always share all their um, latest thoughts, especially all the new technologies there. Um, I I don't I stopped using Twitter for like a good four or five years, I think, or like at least close to maybe at least three four years. Um, but I recently downloaded it again just so that I could see what's the the landscape on this uh, the tech landscape on Twitter because it's really interesting, and I think. Is like zero barriers, so people are just like, oh, um, I, I I learned something new today, and they just start sharing it there. And again, you ask what's the importance of community, and I think this is the importance because you're learning from others, you're learning from either the mistakes that others have made, or you're able to just bounce off ideas. Like you, you don't know how to solve something, you just ask the online community, right? You just say, um, I'm facing this issue, and you just bounce off your ideas of people who are more experienced in that domain, and they'll probably give you suggestions. And I think that's sort of the key of it because who else are you going to ask right if if there isn't a physical person here you, you can ask there's always there should always be an online community that you can ask i think and i think this is one of the fields that is very reactive it's the response rate is very high because against digital right you don't have to like put it in a laureate forum um yeah. and then wait for like for, for a bit before it gets um responded again some people just they destroy it on twitter and if you're a public figure, you have a high following, people respond, right? Because um, people are interested again. So I think, yeah, that's that's from my observation, I think. Mm, okay, okay. Great stuff on that. Now, is there anything that you are doing now or is there something that 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 you want to pitch to people that that to get them to get them on board any projects you're working on? Anything that someone's watching this video saying, hey. I want to partner with Sean or do something exciting. What's an opportunity you can tell people right now that say, hey, software has tons of interesting stuff. I'm doing this stuff. You know, this is an opportunity you should look out for. Is there anything that people can work with you to engage on or any projects you're working in or stuff they should look out for? 
that they can get excited about right now? Mm. So I think uh, not just me. So uh, hopefully not everybody starts bombarding me with messages. But I think look out for tech communities in Malaysia. Um, I think in the last two years, uh, it's been growing quite a lot. And if you're thinking of starting on this journey, it's always nice to have a community, to have people that can encourage you, people that could uh, advise you on certain things and 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 just look out for you, right? And and hopefully partner together in, in creating something. Because um, you, you could be, you could already be experienced, right? Um, and maybe you just want somebody to, to work on something with you, or you're trying to find people to work on different ideas with you, or, or, or maybe you have a freelance gig and maybe you need help. You know, it's always good to have a community of people so that you can just ask for help and, and look out for people. And there's a few communities in Malaysia. One one of them, um, and Ming's currently heading them, is the Hacker Collective uh-huh. Malaysia, right? Um, great community, <laughs> really growing, uh, not just Malaysia, actually, in Southeast Asia. So you get uh, different ones from uh, all around Southeast Asia as well. So that's one community. Um, the other would be developers, Kaki as well. So up and coming community as well. So uh, yeah, there's... there's you know, again, I think the landscape is slow, but it's slowly growing. There's more and more engagement and there's more and more people um, entering this tech space. Again, if you're not in it, you're probably isolated from it because before I started looking out for people, before I started entering this domain, I thought there's nobody. Again, right? I mentioned all people are all around me. No one does tech. I was like, man, why are they so hard to find tech people? But then once you're in a community, because I think it's still quite small and tight-knit community people are quite close and you would see you would see recurring faces definitely um, some bigger names in malaysia so but yeah um definitely do get involved if you're keen amazing awesome and uh yeah thanks for that thanks for that pitch for hacker collective community hey anytime um, i forgot to mention i'm part yeah, of hacker collective yeah. too <laughs> no 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 it's good um yeah so final word to you do you have anything you want to share with people about just any message about anything that they should they should know or they should, they, they, it's useful for them yeah yeah i mean again never stop learning right um even even for people like ming who's been doing this for quite a few years now um he's always learning every day as well and i think everyone in the tech scene because of how um, fast the tech just tech advances in general we always have to be on our toes and we always have to be uh, on our feet to basically learn the new thing, learn what's modern, learn what's new, so that we can just be up to date, right? Um, and I think always just be humble, um, even as you're learning, because you can never learn everything and you can never master all the domains, I think. So, um, yeah, just always learn. There's always people who are better than you. So always don't don't be afraid to just reach out and learn from others and learn from each other, I think. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Final advice, stay safe. <laughs> yeah exactly interesting thanks thanks sean now that's amazing stuff man yeah and i I cannot agree completely right i mean like cannot agree more you always got to be always learning like people have stopped learning especially in tech field Uh, that's the that's the day when you know it's over right because you gotta always never stop learning but cool thanks for that i'm gonna pause the recording now and say bye bye see ya